Welcome to the ADD Moto Podcast. This is the podcast for Adventure Motorcycling Magazine. I'm your host, Nathan Slayball, and on this podcast, you're going to hear from editors to contributors, and you're going to hear ride reports, gear reviews, and stories uh, from people like you and me that are out there riding. And on this episode, our first episode, uh, I'm excited because we have uh, Justin and Kira here from West by 1000, and they're managing editors at the magazine, and they just rode the KTM 390 Adventure down in Baja, Mexico, and going to tell us a little bit about that. So um, then we have a story from Matt Wilson. Uh, he and his wife, Brady, uh, rode down to South America, and they're going to tell us a little uh, story about how sometimes breaking down is the best thing that can happen to you on an adventure. And then we're going to wrap up with a gear review by Dan DeMaio. He's going to uh, tell us a little bit about a new tank bag that's hitting the market. So welcome to the podcast. Let's go. So I'm here with Justin and Kira, uh, founders of West by 1000 and the managing editors at ADV Moto Podcast. Welcome, guys. Hi. How's it going? So uh, we're going to talk today about uh, small displacement bikes and uh, are they still relevant? Um, you know, what, what place do they have in today's motorcycle world? And specifically, uh, a bike that you recently just rode, Kira, right? Yes. Actually, both of us rode it, but um, I I really took, I don't know, I, I, I went a little bit more in-depth because that was a bike that I've been waiting on for a long time, and I was pretty happy, but we'll get to that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, like, just off the top of your heads, what would you say i mean what would you say the perception of small displacement bikes are in the industry oh i mean i i would say that there's a stigma personally i think there, yeah there's a bit of a stigma. i mean it, you, you can roll it back to like harley davidson culture if you if you really wanted to and look at the the sportster versus the road glide and and you know the sportster was always sort of categorized as like the beginner bike or the, the girlfriend bike the girlfriend bike the wife bike whatever like yeah. it was you know it was small therefore it was not adequate um which alternatively in internationally that's not the case i mean in the u.s small bikes are categorized as small bikes whereas you know anywhere else around the world that's just the bike well, yeah, bike and of choice, frankly, yeah. an 883 Sportster in, in other parts of the world is huge. A very, yeah, it's a huge <laughs> bike. So, and expensive know, in some places. All things are all things being relative, but yeah, yeah. in the U.S., um, I would say that there's definitely this like this kind of reputation that a smaller bike, or at least has been, a smaller bike is either entry level, it's somehow less um, less of a motorcycle than something else. Um, and I don't know. I think that's an unjust kind of name tag. I mean, we, we we'll we'll get into that. I suspect. Yeah. But, um, um. I think that you know. I think yeah. We'll we'll get into we'll get into reasons why. And I I can I can agree on certain points about about their their practicality and and then subsequently their their inability to be practical in other situations. Yeah, they so, do lack in some places. Okay, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. We'll, yeah. Well, I think I, I mean. Yeah, I mean, at least in the United States, I think the perception, you know, we, we like big cars, big trucks, the bigger, the better, you know, and we're always modifying stuff to make it, you know, bigger, putting lifts on trucks and stuff like that. Um, and I think, 
you know, a lot of people see their motorcycles the same way that if it's a small displacement engine or, you know, the small displacement motorcycle that it's like a training, a training motorcycle or like, you know, like that's what, you know, beginner yeah. ride, you know, kind of thing. But yeah, um, yeah except when your inseam is 27 inches, then it's like the only bike that you can ride. <laughs> right. <laughs> or one of them. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your experience then with this new bike. Like, uh, why did you ride it? And uh, like, how did you come upon riding it? And, you know, what what was that like? So I think we will start by de de defining the bike. The bike was KTM's new 390 Adventure, which they, mm -hmm. I believe, as far back as 2016, they yeah. they sort of teased the, the, concept. the concept. They They had released the original concept was effectively like a, a 450, like 450 EXC with more body work and lower suspension. And then it, then it kind of, it became, the, it evolved. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it became the Duke. Uh, they took the, the Duke, Duke 390 motor. and took the 390 motor and put it into a, a frame, its own frame that was derived from the 450 and the rally bike. Um, and finally, after four years, uh, dropped this, dropped this thing on us, which she's been waiting for oh, yeah. that entire time because we, we were, I think we were in the Philippines and we rode the 390 Duke in the Philippines and I mean, and we love the motor. Yeah. It was I, mean, a, I mean, it's I, fast, it's fun, it's responsive yeah. and it, you know, you can ring it out, especially again, we're in a third world country. The roadways aren't exactly very wide or developed, but um, it was still perfect there. And I can imagine considering how people have reacted to it in the U.S., they love the Duke bike, you know, the Duke models. Yeah. No, it was, and in the Philippines, it was like the perfect, I mean, it was by all standards there, it was a fast motorcycle, a big motorcycle. Most people are riding around on 125. Yeah. <laughs> and here we have this 400 KTM, you know, and so we, you know, we, we were familiar with the power plant and, and really enjoyed it. And then I think at that time we'd even made a comment, like they should, if they turn this into an adventure model, it'd be like the perfect bike. Oh, for her, great. Just given her her size and well and we had been looking for the right adventure bike for me you know justin has endless endless options and um you know for me even before this is even before the versus sex came out um kawasaki's versus and um it was and that bike was great i i had really good things to say about it there were definitely shortcomings and and altogether aside I mean, there's one or two bikes that aren't considered just like toys. Like there really wasn't a lot of options that felt like it was, it wasn't just a placeholder. Like it wasn't just OEMs trying to fill a space in the small displacement sector. Yeah. Um, right. And right. I feel like with the KTM, you know, long story short, I feel like they covered all the grounds. They provided a real motorcycle um, in that space. And I think it's especially, um, I think it's good to point out that it's because, you know, it's being made in India and it's made in an area in a market that is that the demand is super high for it, that size and that quality. Um, and they're still using great components. It doesn't, you know, just because it's not made in Austria doesn't mean that it's not quality made. And it felt like it was quality made. Yeah, I think I think the uh, the bike felt sort of like the bears and the porridge, like the, you know, she tried the, the versus X 300 or 300X and it was like, yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's like lukewarm. It's it's there, but it's not there. And she's tried, you know, she's ridden like her, even her XT225 is like, that's eh, kind of cold, yeah. cold porridge. You know, it's, 
Well, and then the options for like the Honda CBX 500 CB 500 or CB, excuse yeah. me, CB 500X, it's too much. It's just a little bit of a pig. Like, yeah. yeah, I can, I can ride it. It's, I can pick it up. I can do the things, but it's exhausting. It doesn't, it didn't really, it didn't have the qualities that I needed and felt comfortable with riding off road or on road. Um, and yeah, you know, and like I think the saying, 390 was like the right flavor of porridge. It was, it's got enough of the on road qualities and off road qualities for someone of her stature. She's five one and and two tenths or something, and um and and you know weighs like a hundred some odd pounds. It's not you know, it's it's a bike she can move around. It's approachable. Whereas you know some of these most most dual sport and adventure bikes um are too big way too big for her and yeah. you know i mean i think mm -hmm. i put her on my dad's dr650 one time literally put her on it because she couldn't reach the ground so well know, i couldn't she, reach the brake pedal yeah i couldn't reach it <laughs> so you know she like got up on there and then you know she's able to ride the thing obviously but when she comes when you come to a stop it's like you know she just basically jump off the side which, which is fine yeah. it's just if it's your own ride if you're going a long distance like even on a on a bike, you know this. Even on a bike, you can put two feet down on. Riding for six, seven, ten hours a day, you just get you start to get tired and lazy. And then the more cumbersome a bike is, the more likely I'm going to drop it on myself. Um, and it's it was nice. I mean, even it. We're talking about this like oh, it was a great bike for me, but at the same time, I feel yeah. like it's not. It couldn't be categorized categorized as a small bike or a beginner bike quite like the others because it satisfies the needs of someone who's male female heavier um average size even taller even heavier i mean the suspension was great i think they used the front the front suspension off of the, the 790, 790. It's effectively yeah. the same the same diameter yeah front front forks and it's you know it's it's i believe they call it the wpa i think it's called apex apex yeah and it's their sort of down market wp stuff it's not it's not it, they're also using like the brembo I the by brembo. brembo which is or it's called by brem by brem which means by brem, brembo by brembo yeah uh breaks and i mean but the the thing is what that does is is it lowers the cost it yeah. makes it an approachable um price point and you know honestly from his weight my weight we both we both pushed the KTM as hard as we could on different surfaces, and we didn't feel like any of those components were not enough. Yeah, absolutely. And at sixty-two hundred dollars, I mean, it you get you get a TFT display, you get yeah. switchable ABS and traction control. You can turn off the traction control and the ABS. Yeah. Uh, you can turn off the ABS with the rear wheel. You can't mm -hmm. turn it off the front, which is fine. Doesn't um, matter. Traction control you can switch off. It has a quick shifter so yeah. on, on the pavement. It's like at sixty. It feels forty. For a, yeah, for a quick shifter, that's that's, that's pretty that's good. Standard standard equipment, not not some kind of you know aftermarket or or OEM accessory. Like that's that's a really good that's a really good deal. I rode out of that thing. I mean, oh yeah. I, I did not. I was you know we went out riding with a with a friend of ours who was on a on an Africa Twin and um you know we I I made it a point to hit every big rock ledge bump wash out that I could to see like where am I going to find the end of the stroke on the suspension I'm 175 pounds um and I'm you know I was riding it as hard as I could to keep up with a friend on this Africa twin and 
I never saw any shortcomings in the suspension or in the brakes. I, I, I think that if, you know, my critiques would be that if you turn the key off or turn the bike off, yeah. period, you, when you turn it back on, you have to reset, reset everything. You have to turn off the traction control again, which yeah. requires you to sit there with your thumb on a button for a while. And that's annoying because if you just want to stop and take a quick chat. Or, or you just killed it real quick on a hill and yeah. now you're on this hill and now you have to turn on all these components. That was, a, like that that was a pain in the ass. Aside from that, I mean, the, the, the riding position is a little more aggressive. The foot pegs are leaned forward. Um, aggressive meaning, like, in the street sense. Yeah, you'd ha I would say anyone who's buying this for a more dual purpose purpose um, would want to maybe put bar risers on it, would maybe want to adjust the foot pegs. There's a few little details to change, change out the hand guards for something a little bit more substantial. Yeah. Um, but all in all, I mean, you can you get it with a skid plate. I think does the skid skid plate come? It's, I mean, standard? it's not really a skid plate. But, but I mean, yeah, you have to... something to suffice until you want to put down money on all your farkles and your upgrades and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, it's pretty normal. I mean, the in terms of buying a new bike, you're gonna want to change. If you're gonna ride it off road, you're gonna want a better skid plate, better hand guards. Yeah. Probably bar risers, better foot pegs. Yeah. Those are sort of the the first steps. The exhaust, obviously, you could shed some weight by putting a a better exhaust on it but um the, my i mean really honestly the, the the little having to fuss with that switch every time the motor or every time the, the power got turned on and off that was annoying the foot pegs were a little lean forward when i'm when you're standing up on them you feel like you're kind of like tipping forward and if your feet are small don't notice it i didn't notice i knew it was existed um because we watched a few videos beforehand it didn't make a difference for me i was pretty comfortable with it but you know, some people will feel like it, it it's an issue and some people won't. And I'd say that the only other, like... Gripe? Yeah. Um, on, yeah, well, cast wheels, but those are things that you can change. Uh, it's more like um, when you're on the road and you're hitting how many RPMs? Whatever, whatever, it, when you're hitting whatever... Gear, yeah, doing 75 miles an hour, it's kind of... It's, it starts to flash the... the um, yeah, and it starts to, like... It's just a little bit on the annoying side if you're someone whose peripheral is sharp enough to see that or you tend to look down at your controls. Um, but for the most part, again, I didn't notice it. I'm usually um, looking forward in the mirrors. It didn't bother me that much. So it's just something to mention. Yeah. Didn't bother Read me. Read all of this in yeah. Curious Review. Yeah. And more. Yeah. And in more. September. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, as managing editors, you guys will be doing a, a write-up on on this, uh, and it'll be in the September issue. And um, there's actually quite a few pictures. Um, since we're doing this on audio and video, uh, I'm going to share my screen quickly and just uh, show you a couple of the pictures uh, from, give you a little sneak preview here. And uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, just go on to uh, YouTube and the ADV Moto uh, YouTube channel, and you'll be able to uh, see the video here. But um, Kira, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, this uh, first picture here? Yeah, I think we had just gotten, I think this was kind of high noon sort of thing. We had just gotten to another location where we were going to start um, checking out. I mean, it was a beautiful location. Keep in mind, this was all being shot during quarantine or towards the end of quarantine as we know it. 
And, um, and so a lot of things are closed. A lot of trails have been shut down for a while. Parks are shut down. And so a friend of ours outside of Rancho Cucamonga took us to, I think, the San Bernardino, the San Mountains. Bernardino yeah. Mountains. And so long story short, they have these epic, epic like vistas. And we made a point to stop at a lot of them. And here, like, keep in mind to climb up to this little spot. We're kind of on a ledge. Um, it was a little bit rutted. It was a kind of a short, steep hill. And I mean, if, I don't know how clearly you can see the tires. They're a little bit more um, road than dirt I think oriented. They're, they're, they're and TK they were perfect. Yeah. I think they are either 60-40 or 70-30 split, uh, more more pavement oriented. I'm, I'm, I don't remember what, um, what they what the designation was but they're they were perfectly they're fine capable i mean a lot of people that we've talked to who have actually had experience with the bike already um you know they say oh we'll put more aggressive tires on it but honestly especially if you're someone who's doing a lot of long distance on the pavement they're perfect on the pavement and i didn't really have problems with them um in any situation at least that i experienced that day or yeah that they're, day. They're, they're a little cup you know for they're good for leaning the bike over uh, you know off-road you uh you know you could stand to have some some sharper sharper edges a little bigger knobs yeah. but yeah um, is it a, is it a dual it. compound is it a dual compound tire i oh you know that's a good question i don't i don't know <laughs> i i presume because it's, it's the tkc 70 is the you know their more rodent oriented version of the tkc 80 which is one of you know that's one of the favorite adventure bike tires on the oh, market yeah. it, it's downside is simply that it uh you know they get eaten up they're kind of soft so they get eaten up pretty quick yeah and a lot of these guys again you know the adventure bike it's for the distance so a lot of people end up on the road a lot longer than they want to or on pavement a lot longer than they want to and that that just makes it a more comfortable ride i'd say um it wears and tears on the tires a little bit less um and yeah and again, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I went through sand and slippery stuff, and I don't really yeah, that, have any issues. Yeah, they're fun. I think, I think as a as a tire equipped from the OEM, it's oh, they're, they're pretty pretty good choice. Yeah, um, for that bike, for and especially for the market that they're, you know, this is a this is a global market bike. I think that's a, a big point that a lot of folks don't understand is, or that they they just overlook is that this is this is a global market bike. It was it was designed to be sold everywhere in the world, and mm -hmm. and not just in North America. However, um, our friend Quinn Cody, uh, former Baja 1000 champ, Dakar rally racer. Yep. Uh, he is now KTM's adventure bike product manager. Don't quote me on his role, but he works in the, <laughs> in the ADV bike product line. Mm -hmm. And he had a, uh, a he very had a, direct hand. Yeah. Direct hand in, yeah. in the development, not the development, but how this bike came to market in North America. He, you know, he he was able to sort of voice the feelings of of North American riders uh, to KTM directly and say, you know, hey, we, you know, a lot of the roads that we ride to get to the dirt are highways, and you've got to be able to do 75, 85 miles an yeah. hour on the highway to get there. And then once you're there, we ride pretty hard off road, and we have a lot. I mean, there's we have endless trails. I think only five percent of the roads in the United States are paved. The rest are all dirt roads and so like we we ride we ride really hard off-road and um you know it's it, it's a recreational activity so it's not like 
not like just taking a dirt road to get back to your your house the business or to, to work, your restaurant yeah, or something. Or excuse me. It's you know we do it recre- recreationally, so that means that when we do it, we're doing it for fun. We're for doing fun it. And, and we're pushing our limits. Yeah, yeah. We definitely. I I personally push that bike as hard as I could. Um, to sort of you know, I mean, I found the end of the stroke in the rear in the rear shock. Um, the front suspension is is fully both fully adjustable, which again that's and on the fly. I mean, it's got clickers on the top. You don't yeah. need. You don't need a, a tool to adjust the front suspension, that's, which is really nice. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you just throw it up a couple of times yeah. if you're feeling nice. soft. Yeah. So, that, yeah, that was one of the things I was going to mention. Is like I wonder if you know bikes, because uh, it, it's a, it, these bikes are pretty light, and you know as more people get into overlanding and bringing more toys, you know, with them as they go out um, on the on the back roads, the forest roads, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I could see this being like a really um, you know, someone who wants to go blast for the weekend and, uh, you know, have like the, um, just like oh, yeah. a truck with a, a camper and then throw this on back. You wouldn't even need a yep. trailer, you know, Absolutely. just kind of, um, you know, yeah. hitch or something. 383 pounds wet. So yeah. it's, you know, I mean, I, I think my DRZ with the big tank and skid plate and all the other crap is probably 370 pounds, 360 pounds. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's in that ballpark. And um, it's a lot more comfortable and fun to ride on the pavement than my DRZ. I mean, it's still a KTM, and KTM makes super fun bikes, and like, and it has a lot of the qualities that KTM offers normally. So it's like you don't, you don't feel like you're just taking a clapped out dirt bike on the back of your trail or on the back of your overland vehicle or out for the weekend. Like you're really taking a bike that's ready to handle what you want to put into it. But I, I, yeah. on the on the subject of, of um, the stigmas of small bikes or or just small displacement stuff in general, it, it, that it goes back to what what we were talking about regarding um, the way that you get to, to dirt roads in this in North America is almost always involves a lot of highway, and I think one of the stigmas is that you know you if you're going to get onto the interstate, you got to be able to keep up with traffic and you have to be able to do it safely. And some of the small bikes, a lot of a lot of small bikes can't do that. They don't um, have the umph. They don't. Here's like, XT225, you know, 60, barely. 65 miles an hour is, is kind of its com- comfortable spot. And 65, you know, here it's in, not enough. You know, in, the, in the West, mm-hmm. uh, 65 miles an hour is not cutting it. You know? Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's just, aside from the fact that they are smaller, and for those of you who cut, uh, who uh, split lanes and things like that, a smaller bike is, lesser seen uh and and i think that having the ability to twist the throttle and get yourself out of a situation um quickly is very important because not everyone's going to see you even if you're huge not everyone can see you and so being able to get yourself um out of a situation and being controlled at all times with the use of speed and brakes is important and i think ktm has that i I caught a lot for writing an article a couple of years ago when the Honda Rebel, the new Honda Rebel came out, they, they offered in a, in a 300 and a 500 variety. And the, the uh, 500 was tip is great. 500 was great. It. Um, <laughs> it, it had plenty of power. Um, it was the exact same frame, same, I mean, ergonomics, geometry, everything's the exact same. But it was a the 20. weight was about 35 pounds difference. I mean, it was, it was, it was very, very nominal, but the 500 could, could do 85 miles an hour 
comfortably on the road. It, it had, you know, you could accelerate from 60 to 80 without having to shift down four gears. Yeah. The 300 was the opposite. It was, to me, it was unsafe in the sense that I, you know, you're on the interstate and you're like wringing its neck trying to, trying to keep up with traffic. And if you need to go around someone or maneuver, you had, you were whacking the gears down to try and get power out of this little 300. And even in low speeds, I mean, it, it yeah. didn't have the low end torque to be able to like get you off Ooh, the line. Yeah. Like, so I, I wrote an article <laughs> about that and just said that I, as a beginner bike, I think it's terrible. And I, I think that as a beginner, you're much better off buying the 500 um, and being able to execute things safely than, than waiting for this bike to like, uh, and you know, a lot of folks don't like to hear that. They, you know, but I mean, it's, you know, as a beginner, you don't know these things, you, you know, these aren't experiences you've had. And so when you're being told, oh, this is the right bike for you, this 300, it's a, it's a beginner bike, it's low and it's low in power. You won't ever uh, feel like you're, you're using too much. You won't whiskey throttle, whatever. But the reality is, I mean, there are plenty of uh, smaller displacement bikes that have what you need, that have the power that it's important um, to have without having to sacrifice those things. Braking and, and speed is a thing that that I think needs to be, um, people need to be educated on before they start to find themselves their first bike. Case in point was the fact that we took Kira's sister, who was very new to riding motorcycles, like a few months, we took her, and she had went out and bought a Rebel 250, um, you know, like the, the model that they've made since the 1800s. And yep. she went out and bought one of those and learned how to ride. But then we put her on the 500 and she immediately was... Oh, she took to it. Much, so much happier with that motorcycle than the one she had back at home. And it was it was safe. She could keep up at freeway speed. She could go around people, you know, accelerate out of situations. Um, and I think that, that for me, it's like a... There's like a happy balance between small bikes. Sure, yes, small bikes are they're not bad they're there ought not to be a stigma attached to them but too small in north america is an issue and you know it just it's just because of the, the roadways that we we utilize the highways i mean you need the right tool for the job and in this circumstance in the u.s there is a level that we need uh for our tools that we're using to be able to execute riding a motorcycle properly and even beginners need the right tools to start with. And especially learning on something that isn't the right kind of bike for what you're using it for. And then conditioning yourself to thinking this is how it's supposed to be. I mean, a majority of every other bike has those components, has speed, has torque, has um, braking power. And so it's like once you've moved on, now you have to relearn a whole new machine. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess that can be said for a lot of things, but it's yeah. an easier transition. So could you see this bike then, um, you know, like, because I think a lot of people want to think like around the world kind of trips or adventure motorcycle travel, you know, they're thinking of like the, the big R1200 GSs and stuff like that, because that's kind of what's been glorified as the adventure machine, you know, um, through, you know, films and TV and stuff like that. Um, could you see, you know, after having ridden this bike, taking, you know, this specific bike or you know, a small displacement adventure bike on, you know, say a week trip or a month or a multi-month trip and still being comfortable 
and feeling like you could carry your gear and stuff like that? I mean, for me, absolutely. I mean, that's, unfortunately, that's my only option. But in a, you know, contemporaneously, the mid-size, mid-weight um, adventure bike has started to come into favor. The Tiger 800s, the Africa Twins, the uh, T700s. And I feel like that has kind of become the gateway to smaller size, more manageable adventure bikes. And it doesn't take away from their, you know, luggage capacity or um, their, their um, what do you call it, the, the mileage that they can travel. You know, it's just because it's smaller doesn't mean it's not going to perform, doesn't mean it's not going to go as far, and doesn't mean it can't carry as much. And I think yeah. the KTM for someone of my size or someone who just wants a cheaper, more approachable bike, who maybe has a shorter inseam, whatever the case, it's it's a really capable well, vehicle. Frankly, once you once you get outside of the United States and you're heading south, or you know the they don't have the highways in the United states that we, we do, do. And, and so you don't need a bike that can do ninety miles an hour with the cruise control on. I mean, it gets dangerous because there's so much. Power yeah, you don't. <laughs> it, it becomes unnecessary. I'm also the wrong person to ask because I will ride anything anywhere, any distance. Yeah. I, I don't. I'm. I'm masochistic. I think that. I think that's fun, and uh, I would. You know, to me, it's almost. It's. I would take the challenge of riding something smaller, Painful. or even it's something. Like you know, challenging yourself right now. I, I feel like I, I have know. Long term <laughs> making. Well, I wanted to. Uh, I. I had pitched an idea years ago about riding, uh, like 250 cc sport bikes from L.A. to Austin, Texas, to go to the MotoGP race. Yeah. But you know how how funny would that be to to ride all the way, you know, halfway across the country on a little 250 on Ninja. Buzzers. Yeah. Um, you know, and everyone's response was like, you're an idiot. That's terrible. And I'm like, well, that's the idea. I mean, you know, we were really close story. to doing it. And yeah. then we ended up doing our scouts honor trip where we, we, that was our first introduction to the Indian scouts. So, yeah. Uh, instead yeah. we did it on cruisers. <laughs> yeah. Which was the diametric opposite. Yeah. You know. Didn't fulfill my desire to punish myself on a, on a little buzzer. I, 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 I mean, you know the yeah that three ninety that three ninety adventure you could ride that thing anywhere you want yeah for and as actually long as you want. the seat if we're talking about long distance comfort is a big thing when it comes to that and the seat is incredibly comfortable yeah, like yeah. we were both on those uh, that bike for hours. you know ten to fourteen hours yeah like morning till uh, sundown and it was I never noticed it I rode it in traffic because usually I'd split but I was following the car and um, and just it didn't get annoying. Let's let's say that it didn't hurt my seat. I didn't feel uncomfortable. It's very easy to like fidget around when you're driving slow speeds and and you're on a bike with insufficient cushion on your tushy. So. Yeah. 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 Well, cool. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, for coming on on the show, and I'm excited to see uh, your article in September's issue. Um, where can they find you? I mean, obviously managing editors, uh, for ADP Moto Mag, so they can, uh, find your stuff in the magazine and then, uh, West 1000 stuff. Where can they find that and see, uh, like Scouts Honor and some of the stuff that you mentioned? Um, you can see, well, our website is westx, the numbers 1000.com. Um, and you can see some of our previous, uh, editorial from there and, um, the video series Perpetual Motion that we three did together 
is on mm-hmm. youtube.com backslash westx1000 yeah yeah um, and then, yes and if you want to reach us for anything adventure motors mag adventure motorcycle magazine related you can reach us at um content at adventure motorcycle.com yeah. perfect well thank you guys and uh happy riding see you down the road thank you so breaking down is never fun um it's usually a bad surprise and uh messes with our riding uh schedule and usually ends up costing a lot of money but on the other hand it forces us to interact and meet people that we probably would have never met and especially if you're traveling in a foreign country or a place you're not familiar with it makes you vulnerable in that environment and that um, forces you to uh, be at the mercy of, of others and, and their help. So Matt Wilson and his wife Brady were running in South America and here's what happened when they broke down. I'm here with Matt Wilson at TourTech and uh, Matt just briefly describe, uh, introduce yourself to who you are. And okay. Um, well, I work at Turatech. Uh, I, I'm the product line manager here in Seattle, and uh, I live and breathe motorcycles. It's in my blood. Uh, everybody in my family rides, and so it's it's my passion and it's my career. So I'm a pretty lucky guy. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Now, Matt just completed a trip from I I don't know. You have to tell us from how far down to Tierra del Fuego down in uh, South America. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my wife and I. Uh, left Seattle, um, rented out our house, sold a lot of our belongings, and uh, rode to the tip of South America in Ushuaia, and then shipped our bikes home. It was kind of a lifelong dream, and uh, we finally made it happen. That's so cool. Now, there's, I'm sure you have like a bazillion crazy stories from the road as trips like that, uh, you know, tend tend to to bring about. Um, But you were mentioning one in, uh, what Argentina I think right mm-hmm. yeah yeah so uh, we've got a ton of stories from the road uh, a lot of short ones uh, a lot that I'm probably not allowed to tell yet um, but the one that I, I really like telling people and it kind of illustrates just how uh, helpful people are and how uh, accommodating and and just uh, accepting the, the community is down there uh, is, is a story about when we had a, one of our only or few mechanical breakdowns of the trip. Um, and uh, it happened with my wife's bike, uh, uh, Brady's bike, uh, 650 BMW. Um, they're, uh, they're notorious for having water pumps go out. And uh, we had it happen once in Lima, Peru, uh, which I happened to have the spare parts to fix it, so it was no big deal. Um, so we fixed it, uh, we started riding, and, and we made it about 3,000 more miles, uh, and we were in northern Argentina. Um, and we had been in contact with a, a Argentinian fellow, it was a friend of a friend in Lima, and he was really insistent that we come stay with him. He said he had a ranch and he would do a big barbecue for us, and he kind of had me at barbecue. It was way out of our way. It was, you know, it was going to be at least a four or five day detour off the route. Um, but again, uh, the lure of a of a traditional Argentinian asada, uh, where they just lay out all the possible meats and cook it all at once. Uh, I mean, that really had me hooked. And I had this image of gauchos and rolling hills and everything in my mind. So 
we made a beeline uh, towards uh, Cordoba, which is uh, near where he lived. Um, and and so a couple days into it, um, all of a sudden Brady's bike overheats and uh, to the point where it won't start or run. Um, it's dumped all its coolant out. Um, I know it's the water pump again. Uh, I either installed one of the seals crooked or the part was defective. I, I still don't know, but we were done. Um, and it, it was really stressful. It was one of those things where it was kind of kind of like a you know the trip's gonna end like the engine's gone like we're gonna have to buy a different bike for her or ride two up and and so we were pretty down at the time um but a guy on the side of the road uh, who ran a gift shop he let us roll our bikes in front of his gift shop he gave us a couple lawn chairs um i borrowed his son's phone and called um this contact, uh, David, who uh, lived about three hours away, and, and I explained to him that we weren't going to make it to his place because uh, we had these mechanical issues. Um, next thing I know, he's arranged uh, one of his buddies with a car and a rickety old trailer uh, to come and pick us up about four hours later. So as we sat there, we waited, and we got to know the shop owner, and, I mean, nicest people in the world. Um, and uh, when the guy showed up with the trailer, we roped down the bike, um, and we thought we were going out to the ranch, but instead David took us to his mother's house um, in a town called Alta Gracia, um, dropped us off and said, you know, you can spend the night here and work on the bike here. In the morning, we'll go in and we'll try to find parts. Um, so here we were, stuck at this house with a with an 80 year old woman that spoke no English um, and and was just fascinated with us and and it was one of the best experiences in the trip because we were forced to speak Spanish which you know at this point in the trip we were both pretty fluent um, but we talked about families we I mean we we learned her whole Italian Argentinian um, heritage and and I mean compared pictures of everybody's families and um, you know this went on for several days and um, she herself wouldn't eat much but she being a, a I guess an Italian uh, Argentinian grandmother uh, made sure that we were eating plenty and so she would have a chicken brought to her uh, uh, house at least twice a day and she'd cook a whole chicken for us uh, in different ways and then she would sit and she would watch us eat it and if we'd stop she would make sure she would tell us to keep eating it you know and and so that and then pretty soon it got to the point where we'd ask her about the recipe and then she was teaching us how to cook the chickens and wow. uh, we just I mean she instantly adopted us as as her grandchildren and then when we'd go be going out to try to find parts and stuff she would call David every you know couple hours saying where are the kids are the kids okay are the kids hungry? Should I make food for the kids? And, and she just, she was keeping track of us. It was really, really cool to just be instantly part of the family. And, and uh, you know, I, I like to think that that's how my family would treat people here in the States, but it's just, it's really neat to kind of have that random experience. So we uh, figured out that it was just the water pump again. We needed to get a rebuild kit. So we drove the hour into Cordova visited any BMW type shop we could find. Nobody had the part, nobody had a used part. Um, all the parts counter guys were telling us, no, you know, we have to order it from Germany. Um, and, and at that point, 
I was starting to look up ways to use a washing machine water pump or rig up something just to get the bike going again. Um, but David, who really knows how the system works down there, uh, knew to just kind of barge past the front desk and go back and talk to one of the technicians, which he did for us. And pretty soon that technician was on the phone calling a guy in Buenos Aires who did happen to have the part. Um, long, real long story short, we paid David's brother to wire transfer money to Buenos Aires. The guy in Buenos Aires boxed up the part, put it on a seat in a bus, and then the bus went from Buenos Aires to Cordoba in one day, and we had to drive the hour back up to Cordoba the next day and then pick it up from the bus station. And we got the part. I mean, it was just like this miracle. And, you know, we had to jump through so many hoops, but it was just amazing, like, what you can get done when, like, it really comes down to it. So a day later, the new water pump was back in. Um, we rode out to David's ranch, finally got to spend time at his ranch, had the traditional asada, um, just hung out, ate fresh food for a couple days. I mean, just really enjoyed it, relaxing with him and uh, rode some of the sections where the Dakar Rally had been, um, just in the beautiful Argentinian, uh, you know, grasslands and farm country. And, yeah. and I mean, if, if we hadn't have taken that, that four-day detour, we wouldn't have seen that. But if, if Brady's water pump hadn't have gone out I mean, half of that experience, which I, I think was one of the best experiences of the whole trip, like it, it never would have happened. Mm -hmm. So at the, you know, and, and I think it's real common with all traveling at the time, you, you just, it's just the pits, you know, like you, you're down and out, but looking back on it, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad it happened, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it wouldn't have been the same otherwise. And, and, you know, now we have this, uh, our, our, we call her our Argentinian grandma, you know, and we have this, this whole family there in Cordova that, that uh, you know, I hope one day I can repay the favor. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, to, to me, that's what traveling's all about. That's amazing. Yeah, as, as Matt's been talking here, we're in his office. The, on his screensaver, there have been pictures from his trip uh, kind of cycling through from the exact story. He's, uh, if it's cool with Matt, um, we'll have him send me a couple and we'll post them on the on the uh the blog uh or the podcast uh notes there for so sure yeah absolutely I, I think i've got uh some pictures with berta um as we were leaving and she she actually started crying when we were leaving she was oh. so attached to us and she kept saying when are you coming back you know you got to come back and visit and so you know i think that's probably got to happen sometime in the next couple of years making a trip back just to see everybody yeah, that that and the pet owl, right? Yeah, yeah, they had a pet owl named Pepe uh, that would sit on your shoulder and and uh, you'd feed him scraps of meat at dinner and and uh, that was pretty cool too. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks a lot. So, if you want to check out their blog, which I highly recommend, really good pictures on there, and he goes into some more detail, just go to adventuremotorcycle.com, click on shows, and then go down to where it says podcast on there, and you can see a link to their blog and some pictures. So, now it's time to talk about some Moto Gear. 
So I'm here with Dan DeMeo, and he is one of the reviewers for ADV Moto uh, Magazine. And in this issue, he has a couple things that are reviewed, but uh, one of them is uh, the tank bag. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. Great to have you here. Uh, so, talk a little bit about. Um, it was it was it a tank bag uh, in this issue that that you reviewed? Yeah, Giant Loop came out with a new minimalist style tank bag. Um, you know, I don't know if any of you all like me, but I I don't like riding with tank bags. But you know, once you do, you, you're kind of hooked because they are super convenient. But uh, yeah, this this tank bag is small in size. But, you know, enough room to fit your essentials, your phone, your wallet, some chapstick, earplugs, things like that. Nice, nice. What did, uh, so talk a little bit about, like, what what is the tank bag? Um, and, um, like, what, why do you why do you like it? What are the pros? Let's start out with the, the pros, and then we'll, we'll hit the cons of it. Well, again, you know, uh, compact in size. Um, you know, it's t- fully waterproof, waterproof zippers. Um, I did test it in some rain and uh, it did pass that. Uh, none of the contents inside got wet. Um, the size is, is definitely easy to live with. Um, it does have a, a strap on the underneath, on the underside that, you know, you can zip it off once you get to your destination and carry it with you like a little, little tote. Um, and it, you know, it was just a super simple installation. Nice, nice. And you said, and and this is a pretty small tank bag. Um, for those of you watching on on the podcast, if you go to YouTube, you can see the video version of this podcast. Um, uh, Dan's got it here on screen, and it's it's basically about I would say the size of what we say like a loaf of bread, maybe. Uh, smaller than a loaf of bread, but uh, very similar. Maybe uh, three inches smaller than a loaf of bread. But yeah, it's it's super small in size. Uh, it does have a a clear clear top that you can set your phone in and still use your GPS. Uh, the screen is touch sensitive, so you can still maneuver your cell phone. Uh, you know, when out riding or out on the trail. Um, just just a super cool cool tank bed. I've been waiting for one of these for years. So nice. Yeah. Yeah, what kind of uh, what kind of bike did you test it on? What were you riding when you, when you tested it? Um, I ride a, a KTM 1190R, um, so it is mm-hmm. kind of small on top of a big bike like that. But uh, you know, it works for people that don't you know don't want to ride with a tank bag because they feel they get in the way. Um, you know, it's you can position it multiple places on the bike. Um, I had it you know, set back so that I could see the, you know, see the cell phone and the GPS. Um, you yeah. could set it on top of your gas cap if you'd like, but yeah, there's multiple mounting options uh, for getting this on your, your big adventure bike or your small dual sport bike. Nice. What, uh, are there any cons to it? Like any things that you didn't like about it? Um, other than just a silly one, you know, I wish, I wish a small tank bag was out years ago. Um, but uh, he does offer some some additional, uh, like a, a shoulder strap that you can mount to it and carry it you know, around your shoulder. I made a suggestion, like, it'd be cool to, you know, kind of have a, a fanny pack um, 
kind of apparatus you can sew it to and just you know snap it around your waist um but i'm sure yeah. you know if somebody wanted to go that route they could uh figure out a system on their own um the other thing you know was talking with uh, a riding buddy over the weekend and uh i actually need to call harold over at giant loop and suggest this to him you know for the bikes that are out there that have still have metal tanks uh, mm -hmm. it would be really cool to have a, a magnetic system for it you know maybe a small mm -hmm. magnetic uh, or magnet that you could zip on the back side and then stick one on your tank and you could just position it wherever you wanted to on the tank uh, yeah. I thought that would be a cool feature and, you know, I'm definitely going to bring it up to Harold. You know, maybe it's something he can offer down the line. Yeah. Nice. Well, cool. Well, thanks for, for joining us, Dan. What's the, uh, what does that bag run right now? Retail? Um, uh, MSRP on it's $99. 99. You can, okay. You can get nice. it at giantloopmoto.com. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And if you want to read um, the full review by Dan, um, and also, I think he reviewed, uh, you, I think you said there was a, a clutch uh, that you reviewed as well in this issue. Um, uh, yeah, yeah the, go pick up. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it was the Recluse Radius uh, clutch system on the 1190. Nice, nice. Yeah, so if you want to read those reviews, uh, go pick up the current uh, issue of uh, Venture Motorcycle Magazine. Um, or uh, you can do a subscription online there and uh, check it out. Thanks for joining us, Dan. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Cheers. So I'm back here with Kara. Uh, as, as you met her earlier, one of the managing editors of ADV Moto Mag, and the July issue is out right now. And this segment is going to be an ongoing segment. Each episode, we'll give a little sneak peek of what's coming up on in the issue. So Kara, Tell us a little bit about um, just a couple things of why people should go check out July's issue of ADB Moto Meg. Sure. Um, well, one, we've got a lot of good ride reports in this issue. We go from the Pacific Northwest all the way to Iran. Um, and we have a, a piece actually touching on uh, COVID and, and being in quarantine. It's a piece from World Vespa that talks about um, just how people who are travelers adapt to this kind of new reality that we have or have shared together for several months now. Um, and also for people who've been trying uh, anticipating it, uh, we do have the first ride review for the Tiger 900, 2020 Tiger 900. Nice. And then nice. everything That's else so that you usually <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, cool. Well, thanks, Kira. Thank you. Again. Thank you. So that wraps up episode one of ADV Moto Podcast. Um, if you want to see more reviews and see some of the pictures of Kira and Justin's ride, uh, you can pick up a magazine, the print version, wherever magazines are sold, or you can go to adventuremotorcycle.com and you can subscribe there and it gives you access to not only this month's issue, but all the past issues, the back catalog. So there's dozens and dozens of issues back there, which is pretty cool. So. Um, thanks again for tuning in. Um, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to get in touch with us, just uh, email us at podcast at adventuremotorcycle.com and let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. If it's about a certain bike or ride or destination, just a piece of gear, uh, anything. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. So thanks again and see you down the road. Right now, right now. Hey, come alive.